Hello, everybody, and welcome to session four. Uh, I have really, I haven't been able to see your faces, but I can, with the eye of faith, I can picture you sitting and listening and reflecting and discussing. And I just pray that this has been really helpful to you and maybe made you think about some things you hadn't thought before. But I, I just really want you to know you're valuable, you're precious to God. And, and God doesn't just want to save you so you can come to heaven when you die. But God wants you to be uh, fruitful and fulfilled. He wants to use you to make a difference in somebody else's life. He wants you to make a difference in your church. He wants you to uh, connect in fellowship with others and in serving with other people. Because God just, he wants to use his whole church. He wants to use the entire body of Christ. And we've been sharing with you from our book, The End of Spectator Church, Answering God's Call to Full Engagement. And when we left off at the end of the last session, we were in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. We had seen how that Jesus had gone about teaching, preaching, and healing. But then he turned around and he saw multitudes of people that even after he had taught them and preached to them and prayed for the sick, there are people still struggling and hurting. And, and he said, wow, they're like sheep without a shepherd. People need more than just sermons. They need more than just Bible lessons. They need more than just a quick healing line type of thing. People need relationships and people, you know, need people that really care about them. And, um, and then Jesus said, the harvest is huge. But the laborers are few. So we don't speak disparagingly of any of those levels. We need the teaching, preaching, and healing. We need the pastoral touch, the relational type of ministry. But we also need a what Jesus prayed here for was a multiplication of laborers. And um, Charles Spurgeon said this. I love it. He said, now one sign of true revival... And indeed, an essential part of it is the increased activity of God's laborers. Uh, there was a Methodist holiness preacher back, I think it was in the late 1800s, maybe into the early 1900s, named uh, William Godbay. And he said, now, he, now understand this, he was not a pastor, he was a revivalist. So he would have probably traveled with a tent and held outdoor meetings and things like that. So his, his uh, language reflects that of a revivalist. He said, oh, the infinite value of the humble gospel helpers. Thousands of people who have no gifts as leaders are number one helpers. How grandly revival work moves along when red hot platoons of fire baptized helpers crowd around God's heroic leaders of the embattled host. He said efficient leaders are indispensable in the Lord's work. Though we cannot do without them, yet we do not need many. We need a hundred flaming workers, helpers to every one revival leader. 
Hence, the Lord gives us just about that proportion. I really appreciate what uh, the evangelist said here because, number one, he acknowledges the vital role of leaders in the body of Christ. Uh, we look at the list of Ephesians 4, uh, 11 and 12, how that God gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And since we're sharing this in the context of the local church, uh, we never want to underestimate the importance of pastors. You know, uh, you know, but we also don't want to underestimate how much the pastors need uh, people surrounding them, helping them, using their different gifts and abilities, so that uh, the needs of the church and and its outreach is uh, fully funded in terms of spiritual gifts and and human uh, resources and things of that nature. What I want to do in this final lesson with you is I want to talk to you again about the diversity. Um, because, again, some people get in their mind, well, this is what a servant of God looks like. And many times it's somebody totally other than them. And because I can't preach, because I can't sing, because I'm not a public figure, you know, God can't use me. But remember what that evangelist said. For every one leader, there needs to be a hundred people, you know, working and helping behind the scenes and that type of thing. So I want to talk to you in this final lesson about what I call multi-dimensional ministry. Multi-dimensional ministry. One person said this, if the only tool that you have in your toolkit is a hammer, it's amazing how much everything looks like a nail. And sometimes we think that all ministry is from the pulpit and, and, and that's, but, but, but believers have many different ways. Of course, we need what comes from the pulpit, but there are so many other ways that ministry can come. And I want to read to you a verse that to me epitomizes different dimensions. In other words, not one dimensional ministry, but multi-dimensional ministry. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, in the New King James Version, Paul is praying for believers. And he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend. So let's stop and think about that word comprehension. Do we comprehend this? Do we grasp this? Is it, is it part of the fabric of our, our very thinking and our perspective about the church? And what it means for Christ to dwell, not just in my heart, but Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. Notice what he says, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints. So this is not some special revelation just for a couple of believers. God, Paul, the Holy Spirit, God, they want all the saints to comprehend this. What is the width? That's how wide something is. The length and the depth and the height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Notice that Paul implies and actually just states that for us, not just see, sometimes we read these Bible verses like it's written to us privately, individually. But this is really written to all the saints. And, and if we read many Bible passages simply from an individualistic perspective, we're going to miss something that's really important because it's not just for me. Notice we are the body of Christ and, and we're members in particular and we're individually members of one another. So in order for some of these things to be understood, we can't, we can't read this individualistically. We have to read this from a corporate or from an entire family standpoint. Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts uh, through faith and that you may comprehend with all saints how wide the love of God is, how long the love of God is, how deep the love of God is, and how high the love of God is. And then he says, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, meaning it's our human finite minds can't understand really these things yet he still wants us to comprehend them it's kind of a paradoxical statement but he says that you might be filled with all the fullness of God I believe that probably one of the greatest limitations we face is that we really have maybe a very narrow very limited perspective of how God's love is really expressed and so we want to talk about that for just a moment. What does it mean? What does it mean that the love of God is wide? What does it mean that the love of God is long? What does it mean that the love of God is deep? Did Paul just randomly throw those out because those are commonly understood dimensions? Or, or is there something about something being wide that has some importance to us? Well, when I think of width, when I think of how wide something is, and we're going to use this to talk about how wide the love of God is. I think of, uh, you know, just the very picture of somebody holding their arms out wide communicates openness. You know, you could even say this image that I'm projecting with my arms, you see somebody walking at you like this and you think, what, do you want to hug or, you know, it's, it's just complete openness and vulnerability. And, you know, when, when I think of width, I have uh, kind of an embarrassing story. Um, when Lisa and I were preaching in the nation of Singapore many years ago, uh, we were preaching at a church uh, that had theater type of seating. Now, I'm not talking about the big lazy boy recliners that movie theaters have now that recline and do everything else. I'm talking about these little narrow, you know, type seats that they used to have with the little metal armrest with maybe a little tiny pad on top. Um, and, and I say this um, really just... Uh, you know, my my body dimensions were and, and still are a little bit wider than many people of Chinese descent. In other words, to put it bluntly, I had been supersized. And um, so I'm at this church and 
uh, Lisa and I walk out during worship. We stand there and worship God with all the people. And then before I'm going to be introduced to preach, um, they say, we'll sit down for announcements and the offering. Well, I sit down and I did not realize how small these theater seats were and how narrow these armrests were, these little metal armrests. And my body weight carried me deep into the seat. But um, when I got down deep in that seat, my hips were wedged in that seat so tight, I felt like I was sitting in a vice grip. And um, I literally was having trouble wiggling or moving in any way, shape, or form. And I had this, you know, kind of claustrophobic feeling that I am stuck in this seat. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, honey, I said, I can't move. I said, these, you know, I'm too big for these seats. And um, I said, when they introduced me, I said, I'm not sure I can get out of this seat. I said, when they introduced me, I said, I'm going to throw my torso forward. And I said, when I throw myself forward, I said, have your hand on my back. And I said, push as hard as you can. And fortunately, you know, I like to jokingly say my wife uh, moved in deliverance ministry that morning because she was able to cast me out of the uh, seat and um, but man was that an uncomfortable feeling well i illustrate you know use that illustration because that illustrates the difference between something that is wide and something that is too narrow or too tight and today you know you go to a movie theater you know at least many of them and um, you sit down and even though I haven't gotten any smaller uh, the seats have gotten much bigger they're padded they're cushioned they're wide arms and that type of thing and I'm going to tell you in one of those movie theaters I feel very comfortable I feel welcomed you know I feel like you know they had me in mind when they developed those wide comfortable seats but in the other theater I felt like I don't belong here you know uh, you know this is so tight I'm not comfortable here and when I think about this relative to the love of God being wide now you may be thinking of another scripture where Jesus said wide is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the path well I'm not contradicting that Okay, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus is the one who said, it's like he stretched out his arms. Number one, he stretched out his arms to die for us. But I think we can picture him another time stretching out his arms for an embrace, saying, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When I think of Jesus being wide, I'm not thinking that, well, you can get saved through this religious leader you can get saved through that religious leader i just mean that jesus is open armed toward us and willing to meet us where we are 
you know, in our sin, in our despair, in our separation, in our addiction, in whatever, Jesus says, come unto me. His arms are open wide. And when we comprehend that about Jesus, then we can have open arms toward other people also. Um, when I think of a church that expresses the width of God's love, I think of a church that has great hospitality. I think of a church that really loves people. I think of a church that is warm, a church that is accepting. And, and by that, I don't mean that our message is um, come as you are and stay as you are. We're not celebrating uh, sin and we're not celebrating uh, a person's choice to remain in sin. But we are saying whoever you are, whatever your background Come unto Jesus. Let him save you. Let him accept you. Let him transform you. But it, it, it's interesting to me that this starts with um, width. The first dimension that is mentioned is width. And to me, a lot of that just means meeting people where they are. Communicating to them in ways that they understand. A church that focuses on width is hospitable, loving, warm, and accepting. The second thing that Paul says that we all the saints are to comprehend is the length of God's love. Well, when we think of length, we think of distance. Um, we think if, if we say something's at a great length, we mean it's not right with us, it's far away. Well, you stop and think about the length of God's love. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus is able to save people to the uttermost. Um, Jesus told the original disciples, not just go into all the world, but he said in Acts chapter 1, he says, you will be witnesses to me here in Jerusalem and in Judea, that's the region around them, and Samaria, those are kind of the outcasts. Those are kind of the people that, yeah, we don't get along with very well. Socially, they're different than us, and they don't like us, and we don't like them. You know, Jesus said, you got to love people that you didn't used to like. And, and the love of God will change our old prejudices and our old biases and things of that nature. He said, uh, you're going to be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem, the immediate area, Judea, our, our region, Samaria, kind of a cross-cultural type of situation. And you're going to be witnesses to me to the ends of the earth. So uh, when we talk about the length of God's love, we're really, I'm kind of implying here at first uh, geographical. Um, but length can be far more than geographical. Sometimes, you know, somebody can be our next door neighbor, but spiritually they're a million miles away from where we are. Um, when I think of the length of God's love, I think of God's love to reach people who are far away from him. Uh, that could be, you know, uh, any form of outreach. It could be uh, prison ministry, homeless ministry, international missions, um, 
you know, anything that takes people outside the four walls of the local church. When I think of width, I think of welcoming people who come. When I think of length, I think of reaching out to people who are not coming, but we're going to them. So width, to me, this is just what this speaks to my heart. Width speaks of a welcoming, accepting attitude and actions toward people who come. Whereas length talks about reaching people who are far away, who are not necessarily coming. And then depth. What about the depth of God's love? Well, when I hear the word depth, I think of discipleship. I think of taking somebody from a superficial, maybe they just got born again, uh, they're on the milk of the word, and you're going to take them step by step, not overnight, but step by step into greater maturity, uh, greater knowledge of the word. Uh, People can go deep in the word, but people can also go deep in the spirit through prayer. So when I hear the depth of God's love... Um, it's not the hospitality that is width. It's not the evangelism and outreach or missions that is length. But it is the discipleship of taking people into greater levels of spiritual maturity. And Paul said this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, that his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. So teachers tend to like to take people deep. Um, You know, evangelists are out reaching people who are far. But people with hospitality and many times pastoral expressions are, are welcoming people. And then finally, there is height. You know, height, we can symbolize that, just reaching up as high as you possibly can. To me, uh, in, in understanding the height of God's love, that speaks of praise and worship and adoration, the exaltation of God, the high praises. How many times has a worship leader said, you know, we're going to go right into the very presence of God. We're going to go into the heavenly holy of holies. And so, uh, you know, many churches tend to focus on one and be better at one than another. And that's okay. Not ever. I don't think probably any church is perfectly strong in all four areas. Um, but these are areas we want to be aware of and where we're not as strong. You know, we want to ask God, God, do you want us to be stronger in this area? Do we need to be more welcoming? Do we need to have stronger outreach? Do we need to be better at taking people into maturity? Do we need to be better at focusing God in the worship of you? And it's not just that you get to do one or the other, like we said with some of the other elements. Sometimes it's more of an all of the above. You can't just say, well, I just like to worship, and so that's all we're going to do around here is worship. Well, people may have certain inclinations. You know, you may have some people in the church that are great on welcoming people, but they aren't necessarily going to take people into maturity. They're not deep teachers. And you may have somebody who's a great worshiper, but they're not necessarily real strong on outreach. Uh, You may have somebody that's strong on outreach, 
um, but maybe not as strong in one of the other areas. But but we have to be uh, we have to be willing to move beyond our just personal preference. You know, you can't just say, "Well, I only like the word, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worship." You know, no, we all get to we're a family. We all get to rejoice and celebrate in all the different areas. Um, but um, but different people may have areas where they get to specialize. Again, don't be exclusive about that. But I, let me share this with you. A, a church that is strong in width is typically very strong in fellowship. A church that is strong in length is very strong in outreach. A church that is strong in depth is strong in discipleship. A church that is strong in height is strong in worship. A church that is uh, wide is relational. A church that is strong in length is missional. A church that is strong in depth is typically instructional. A church that is strong in height is very devotional. And so, uh, again, no church is perfect in all four areas. Actually, probably every church can improve in every area. But we want to appreciate people who have gifts that we don't and um, seek to become uh, full of the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. And we do that by being a multidimensional church. Let me just say this, and this is a little bit different um, uh, way of saying what we've been saying in this particular lesson. And this is something I kind of stole this from Rick Warren down in Southern California. And I changed it and tweaked it a little bit. So you may think it sounds a little bit like what he said, but I've, I've just modified it slightly. He said, I'm saying based on his statement, healthy, lasting church growth is multidimensional. Every church needs to grow warmer through fellowship, deeper through discipleship, richer through worship, stronger through serving, healthier through generosity, and larger through evangelism. Church growth is multidimensional. Maybe you're great at all of those areas, but maybe you tend to shine in one particular area more than another. Maybe you know somebody else in the church. You say, well, they're not really strong at this, but boy, they're great at this. You know, let's just all do our best to honor Jesus, to serve him, to love the world. And uh, most of all, uh, let's never, ever, ever be a spectator church. God has something for every single one of us to do for his glory and for the betterment of other people. God bless you. It's been a joy to be with you. And so we just got to be doers of what we've heard. Amen. Before we break into our small groups, we want to say goodnight to our online audience tonight. We want to remind you that the discussion questions are on our website at heartofthebay.org. You can find them if you click on the rotating header, small groups, you'll find them there. And so please join us on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Pastors Mark and Brenda will be back in the house with a powerful word. And we just thank you for joining us tonight.